Well, good morning and welcome to Palm Sunday at Life Church Buffalo, everyone. It is so good to see a full house here today. If you're new with us, let me be the second person to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Pete, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And on behalf of all of the staff and the volunteers here, we just want to say how excited we are that you've decided to come and spend your Palm Sunday here with us. I want to know how many of you here today are excited to celebrate Easter next Sunday. Make some noise. I think you guys can do better than that because Easter represents the most significant thing in all of human history. How many of you are excited to celebrate a risen and resurrected Savior next week? Wow, that's better. That's better. Easter is also a fun time for families. You know, my wife and I have this tradition, just like I did growing up, I'm sure many of you did, of like hiding an Easter basket for your kids, where you stuff it chock full of sugary sweets and treats that will rot their teeth. And uh, I'm not so sure, though, that we do that entirely just for the kids. Because are there any other parents out there who, like me, tries to get your kid to show them what's inside the basket after they find it as if you didn't know what was in there and you claim or confiscate the treats that you especially like yourself. Does anybody else do that or am I the only horrible parent? Thank you so much. We've got some other parents that stuff the basket full of stuff that they like to eat. And I don't know about you, but my favorite treat of all in an Easter basket is a Reese's peanut butter cup egg. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for Reese's. Can I get an amen? And there's something, you know, there's something about the egg that's different than the, the, the regular peanut butter cup. The ratio of chocolate to peanut butter is much better in the egg than it is in the standard peanut butter cup. This is a match made in heaven. The chocolate and peanut butter is glorious. And if you don't like these, I will pray for you. Maybe we have to cast a demon out. I don't know what's wrong with you. You're not normal. Is there anybody else here who likes them, some Reese's peanut butter eggs? Oh, good. I've got a few of them here. Over here. Right here. And I got a giant size one. <laughs> Starting this service out right. Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter Sunday, when we remember and celebrate the time when Jesus strolled into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. Five days before he would be crucified, seven days before he would walk out of that tomb. This is called Holy Week, as Carrie shared with you earlier. This is also called by many the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. To if you're a Christ follower, if you're a person of faith, this is like the Super Bowl Sunday. This is the biggest uh, thing that we celebrate all year. This is the reason that we have hope because he didn't stay dead. He came out of that tomb alive three days later, and that's why we celebrate. So this is a big, big week for us. But how many of you know that not everyone sees next Sunday or this season the same way we do? Not everyone looks at an event the same way, which kind of reminds me of an old story that I heard once of two shoe salesmen that walked into a village to sell shoes, and they quickly realized that no one in the village wore shoes. Now, the first shoe salesman calls up his headquarters and says, this is a hopeless situation. Nobody here wears shoes. Whereas the second salesman calls into his headquarters and says, this is an amazing opportunity. Nobody here wears shoes. 
Isn't it interesting how two people can look at the exact same situation and yet come to a different conclusion? Easter is much the same way. We have the same experience with cats and dogs. I mean, dogs look at their owners and say, you know, you love me, you feed me, you shelter me, you must be God. Whereas cats look at their owners and say, you love me, you feed me, you shelter me, I must be God. <laughs> A little bit of cat humor for you this Palm Sunday. I bring this up today because we are seven days away from one of the most significant dates, not only in church history, but in all of human history. Easter Sunday, the day when the only human to ever conquer death, hell, and the grave walked out of that tomb to never enter it again. And as a result, at this time of the year, conversation about God increases dramatically, not just in churches, but in general, in culture. Conversation about God happens a lot around Christmas and Easter. And like many of you, I believe that the Easter story shares this incredible truth of the most inclusive, the most welcoming, the most amazing message the world has ever heard, and that is the message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus is that everyone is invited, everyone is welcome, and everyone gets in the same way, which is why we've titled this series Easter for Everyone, because it's not just for those of us who are already convinced. It's not just for those of us who've already placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Easter is for everyone. But not everyone believes that, because there are many people who don't see Easter as the greatest event in a hall of human history. There are a lot of people that view the message of Jesus kind of sheepishly, maybe even a little skeptically, with doubt and disbelief. In fact, a lot of those people will actually be here next Sunday. We call them creasters, people who cautiously walk into church on Christmas and Easter twice a year. And yet, why do you think that is? Because I grew up in churches where we used to kind of, on Easter and on Christmas, make fun or poke fun at those people who hadn't been here since the last Christmas or the last Easter. But why do you think there are so many people who only come once or twice a year? I think it boils down to one primary reason is that people believe God is disappointed with them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we believe he's got good reason to be disappointed with us. I mean, for those that are skeptical, if there is a God, then he must be disappointed with me because I know myself, I know my secrets, I know my sins. And if I know my sins, then God sure knows my sins and he's got good reason to be disappointed with me. And so it's logical if that's your approach, if that's your viewpoint, why you would want to kind of stay away. Because do you know what happens when you believe that God is disappointed with you? you stay away, don't you? I mean, who wants to be around someone who believes that they're disappointed with them? I mean, do you wanna hang out with someone that's disappointed with you? No, so we, we stay away. And so that's why people often only come to church once or twice a year. And that even often at the prompting of a spouse or mom saying, come on, it's Easter, we're going to church today. And it gets worse because not only do some people believe that God is disappointed with them, but that they see God as this vindictive punisher up in heaven waiting to punish them for their sins. And what I hope we all understand when it comes to God and sin is that, you know, God doesn't, we're not punished for our sins. We are punished by our sins. 
For example, if you've got a secret addiction, God is not up in heaven wanting to punish you for that addiction. Your addiction does that all by itself without the help of God. We're punished by our sins. We're not punished for our sins. So this Easter, what I want us to kind of look at the opportunity that we have as a church is to help people who are unchurched, maybe stand at a distance from God to help them see what if we could help them see God not as a punisher, but as a rescuer. What if we could help dispel the most common myth of all, which is that if you're a really good person, then God loves you more. What if we could help them see that God just loves them, period? That God loves them, that he is for them, that he has a plan for their life. We have an incredible opportunity this week and next weekend. That's why today is so important because something happened on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago that is a game changer for how we should view God and his approach to us. See, Jesus did something very specific on that first Palm Sunday. And when we understand it, it should really help those who are sheepish and skeptical of Jesus turn from that into a response where they would run to him. Because when you realize the love that he has for us, the acceptance and the welcoming that he has for those who are broken and hurting, it would make people want to run to him. So we have an amazing opportunity as a church between now and next Sunday to all because of what Jesus did on that first Palm Sunday. And our hope as a church is that the people in our community, the people in your circle, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, would clearly understand the message of Jesus and that Easter is for everyone and that they would have an opportunity to come to know him as their savior next Sunday. So for those who stay away because they think Jesus is disappointed with them or wants to punish them, our goal as a church is that they would clearly understand that Easter is for everyone. Listen, this week provides you with one of the greatest opportunities you have all year, second only maybe to Christmas. I've shared with you the statistic that one survey showed that as many as 80% of people who don't normally attend church would be willing to go to church on Christmas or Easter if a friend invited them. We've got an incredible opportunity this week to let people know that Easter is for everyone. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. We are going to read Matthew's account of the triumphal entry of that first Palm Sunday. And while you're turning there, I want to just give you a little bit of context for what is happening around this time of Jesus' life as we read Matthew 21. So his popularity had reached a fevered pitch by this point. News about him had gone viral, okay? He is five days away from being crucified, seven days away from being, you know, from walking out of that tomb. And so the news about him has spread like wildfire. Just a couple days before this passage, he had resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And so people are freaking out. They're going crazy. They're like, oh my gosh, he's really him. The Messiah that was promised hundreds of years ago is finally here. And so like, it's, it's a fevered pitch. So that's the setting and the context that we're about to read in Matthew 21. So we're going to start in verse one, and it says this. As they approached Jerusalem, they being Jesus and his disciples, they're heading into Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once, as soon as you get there, you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. 
untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks anything to you or says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And that, I always kind of laugh when I read that part of the story because it's like Jesus is telling his disciples to go and steal someone else's donkey. And it's like, oh yeah, and if, if they ask why you're, t- what are you doing with my donkey? Just tell them that Jesus needs it and they'll be okay with it. But that, that's how much the news about Jesus had spread. Like, oh, the Lord needs them? You're good, go ahead, take it. And that's part of the story with the donkey, verse four tells us, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion. Now, anytime you see Zion in scripture, it's synonymous with the city of Jerusalem. And so daughter Zion would be the people of Israel. Say to the people of Israel, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, this prophecy was spoken of by Zechariah 500 years before Jesus even walked the earth. You can look it up. It's recorded in Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, chapter nine, verse nine. And in biblical times, when a king would enter a city, if he was bent on war, he would come in riding on a horse. But if his intentions were peaceful, he would come in riding on a donkey. The donkey was a symbol of peace in biblical times. And so by arriving into Jerusalem, on a donkey, he's announcing to them and to us that he is coming as the prince of peace, not as a war-waging king. I love the symbolism of this. Not only was it prophesied about 500 years earlier, but he is coming in in a symbol of the time on a donkey to let us know that he's coming in peace, the prince of peace. Verse six says, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Then look at verse eight. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now it's John's gospel that tells us what kind of branches. It says that they cut down palm branches which is why we call this Palm Sunday. So maybe if you're here today and newer to faith, you didn't grow up in church and you're maybe wondered why they called it Palm Sunday, that's where we get the name of this day from because they cut palm branches down that they waved and laid on the ground in front of the donkey that Jesus was riding on. And what's interesting is I was researching this week in the ancient Near East, it was customary to cover in some way the path of someone thought worthy of the highest honor. And in the Greco-Roman culture of the Roman Empire, the palm branch was a symbol of triumph and victory. So by doing this, they are welcoming Jesus as their king. Now, verse 9 says, The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, the word Hosanna was a Hebrew word that meant God save us or save now. And that became an exclamation of praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is another messianic prophecy found in Psalm 118, verse 26. Every aspect of this moment had been prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is what the crowds that are gathered watching Jesus come into Jerusalem are shouting. And when the people are shouting, Hosanna, they're hailing Christ as their king. But in their mind, see, they thought they were welcoming an earthly king that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. 
See, they had been under Roman occupation for so many years, and they knew that a a Messiah was promised, and in their minds, they thought they were welcoming a king who was going to overthrow the Romans and set up shop and establish an earthly kingdom. But five days later, these same people who, who are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five days later, these same exact people would be shouting, crucify him because he wasn't who they thought he was. And he didn't live up to their expectations of the kind of king that they wanted. And how many people do we know who've turned their backs on God because he didn't come through for them like they thought or expected him to? How many times have we gotten angry at God because he didn't come through for us like we expected him to? See, God had a different way in mind of bringing salvation to all who would trust in him. And Palm Sunday marks the beginning of this this new kingdom that he's establishing that would be advanced through those that would claim to follow and know and love him. That body of people is called the church. It was a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. See, Palm Sunday finds Jesus on the move. He's heading into Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Now, just to kind of give you context to understand if you don't know Jewish tradition, what the Passover is, that's why there were so many people crowded into Jerusalem at this time because the Passover was one of the festivals that Jews had observed for 1,500 years that required a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem where they would bring a donkey or bring an animal or buy an animal once they got here, once they got to Jerusalem to sacrifice because they were remembering what God had done for them 1,500 years earlier when he rescued them from Egyptian slavery. See, for 400 years, the Israelites lived in Egypt and they were enslaved and mistreated. God sent Moses to bring them out of slavery. And he did that in dramatic fashion through 10 miracles, 10 plagues, the last of which was the angel of death that claimed the firstborn life of everything living in the land. But God spared the Israelites of that and told Moses to tell the Israelites, hey, listen, I'm about to send a plague. And in order to be protected from it, I want you to take a one-year-old spotless male lamb and I want you to kill it. And I want you to take the blood from that lamb and apply it to the doorposts of your home. And when the angel of death comes by, it will pass over your home and not come near you. See, that was a prophetic picture 1,500 years before Christ would even walk the earth of what Jesus was about to do as he entered Jerusalem. The sinless, spotless lamb of God would shed his blood on that cross so that anyone who would receive the sacrifice that he made for us would not have to taste death, would not have to taste spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. That's why Jesus was heading into Jerusalem. They didn't even realize it, but he was about to become the Passover lamb. They thought he was bringing them into Jerusalem so that they could observe and celebrate Passover together. Little did they know that he would give his life for them five days later. See, he knew the purpose for which he was born was about to come to fruition. It was about to be fulfilled. Luke says that he set his face like a flint. When the time reached its fulfillment, when he knew it was time to head to Jerusalem, he set his face like a flint and was determined and purposeful in heading for Jerusalem because he knew the time had come. 
God's plan to redeem all of mankind and bring them back into relationship with him was about to reach a point of culmination. He was making his way to Jerusalem to make his way to the cross. You see, but Jesus didn't just go to the cross. He was making his way toward a very specific and significant destination. And that ultimate destination wasn't just Jerusalem. That ultimate destination wasn't even the cross. And if it wasn't the cross, what was it? See, I believe that the ultimate destination that Jesus was headed towards was you and me. The main point I want to share with you today on this Palm Sunday is that Jesus made his way through the cross to make his way to you and me. You know, I found out last night what my wife Kelly wrote about in the InstaWord, and she didn't know what I was preaching about, and I didn't know what she was writing about, but it's amazing how the Holy Spirit sometimes just brings confirmation to the message that he wants to communicate to his people because she wrote about the power of remembering and how in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The cross wasn't his destination. It was the joy on the other side of the cross. And that joy was you and me sitting here today being in relationship with him. The joy of being able to be in relationship with him was what enabled him to endure the cross. See, Jesus made his way through the cross to make his way to you and me. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And that's the good news of the gospel, which is that Jesus made his way to us, but he didn't make his way just to us. He made his way through the cross to get to the people in our lives, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods. See, the gospel is for you, but it's not just for you. The gospel is too big to just stay with us. The gospel is for everyone. Even Jesus' birth was announced by the angels to say, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people, to all the people. From his birth in a manger to his arrival in Jerusalem on a donkey, he came to us in humility. The imagery of this arrival is that of a humble king coming to us. So not only is God not disappointed in you, he's not disappointed in the people that are in your life that hold God at a distance, who think that, that, that God just wants to punish them for their sins. He's not disappointed in them. He made his way through the cross to make his way to them in humility. You know, an interesting side note is that in the book of Revelation, we do see Jesus seated on a white horse, but that's a different message, different sermon with different imagery for another time. The point I want to make to you today is that on Palm Sunday, as we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, he's coming to us in humility. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, if there is a God, you know, I suppose that he loves me, but maybe I think maybe he's really more just, he tolerates me in my current state. Maybe he'll love me when I clean up my act and I get my stuff together. He tolerates me in my current state but he'll love me when I kind of get stuff in order in my life. But if you follow that logic, Jesus would have waited until after we got our stuff together to go to the cross. But that's not what happened, is it? Jesus took the first step. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. By going through the cross to make his way to us, he's showing us that he loves us then and he loves us now. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. He doesn't need the people in your life to feel like they've got to have everything put together before they come to church. I mean, you don't clean yourself up before you go in the shower, do you? You go to the shower to clean yourself up. And the same is true with God. We come to him just as we are because he loves us just as we are. And it's after we come to him that he's able to clean us up and heal us and restore us and forgive us and and give us a purpose and a meaning for our lives. He doesn't love the future cleaned up version of you. He loves you right where you are, just as you are. And the same is true of every person in your life that hasn't yet crossed that line of faith to receive him as their Lord and Savior. So this message is for you, but it's not just for you. The application for this message is that we understand what Jesus has done for us is so big, it should extend beyond us, way beyond us, which is why we as a church want to lock arms with you to help spread this message throughout our city. And that's why we do things like the Easter egg hunt. We don't do this just for our own kids. We do this to let our community know that we're here, that we love them, that we are for them, that Jesus is for them because we are for Buffalo. We are for Buffalo. We want to let them know that Easter is for everyone and that we are for everyone. You know, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with an organization called the Barna Group but they are um, one of the foremost, if not the most prominent research firm as it relates to uh, church history and as well as um, our nation's history. You know, the founding fathers and how our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And they study not only history, but current and future trends of what's happening in the church today. Last year, they did a very comprehensive nationwide study to rank the the most post-Christian cities in our country. Now, to be categorized or identified as post-Christian, a person had to answer in the affirmative to at least nine or more of 16 questions. 16 questions that would identify someone as post-Christian. That some of which these, let me look this up here. These factors included whether a person would say they were an atheist, uh, whether they had ever made a commitment to Jesus, um, if they had not attended church in the past year, or have not read their Bible in the past week. That's just a handful of the 16 questions. And if nine of the 16 or more were in the affirmative, that would categorize them as post-Christian. Now, these indicators give us a much more accurate picture of, of belief and unbelief in America much more accurate than the percentages that we can pull from, you know, census data where a person checks the box as Christian. A lot of people check the box as Christian, but really when you look at their, you know, their behavior, their beliefs, and their practices, it would not indicate that they actually do believe. And what was interesting to me as I looked at this, do you know where Buffalo ranked in the nation's most post-Christian cities? Tenth. Buffalo is the tenth most post-Christian city in America. 50% of the people in our city, in your community, in your workplace, in your school, have little to no awareness of God or of their need for him. 50%. 
Now, this statistic might alarm or even depress some people who, we, listen, we can't claim we're a Christian nation anymore, people. We can't. And this statistic might depress some people, but you know what it does for me? Oh my gosh, does it excite me. That means we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us. That means the harvest is plentiful. That means that if we all take our job seriously as followers of Jesus Christ to fulfill the mission that he gave us, to make disciples of everyone that we know, that means if we take that seriously, our goal to see a thousand people make a decision to receive and follow Jesus Christ by the end of the year 2020, that'll be a piece of cake, guys. We'll be looking for a new building because we'll be busting at the seams. The harvest is plentiful. We have an incredible opportunity as a church to reach people. The harvest is coming. I believe that the church's greatest days are in front of us and not behind us. It is being prophesied all over the place that the greatest harvest the church has ever seen, that we are on the precipice of it. We're gonna see something incredible. And I believe that our city and our church can be a tipping point for the gospel. I wanna know if there's anybody else here that believes that. Come on. As goes our city, so goes our region, and so goes the nation. I wanna see our church be someone, something that God uses to bring the gospel to the nations. I wanna see a revival. I wanna see hundreds and thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and living out his plan and purpose for their life. You see, the reason, the primary reason we exist as a church is to reach every person with a demonstration of Christ. And this week, we have an extraordinary opportunity to invite people to come and experience Jesus and the message that he loves them, that Easter is for everyone, that he is for them, that he is not disappointed for the, in them, that he wants to heal them, that he wants to destroy the works of the devil in their lives, that he wants them to experience abundant life here and now, not just eternal life later, that he has a plan and a purpose for their lives. We have an awesome opportunity church to let the world know, to let our city know, to let your neighbors know, to let your classmates know, to let your coworkers know that Easter is for everyone. It's for everyone. And listen, some Sundays are just plain easier to invite people to church than others. And this coming Sunday happens to be one of those Sundays. People expect to go to church on Easter Sunday. Why not invite them to come to ours? And so what we want to do this week, my challenge to you is simply to be bold and invite or bring at least one person to church with you next week. Let's pack this place out and let's believe for hundreds to come to know Jesus. Because if every single person that's sitting here today brought one person, we'd be looking for extra chairs. And I promise you, we're going to see people cross over from death to life as they make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's the deal. The reason I ask you and challenge you to be bold and invite someone is because chances are there are many of you here today that are here because someone invited you. In fact, how many of you by show of hands are, are here, whether it's at this church or the first time you came to church, came because someone invited you? Just raise your hands. Look at that. At least half of us are here because somebody invited them. Another question for you, those of you that came because of an invitation, how many of you are mad at the person that invited you? 
We don't need to be afraid, guys. If you're glad that the person who invited you invited you, how much more will the people in your life be glad once they experience and discover what is available to them in Jesus Christ? Be bold. How do you invite them? I mean, we've, we've tried to make it easy for you. That's why we print stuff like this out. It's not for you. It's for you to take this stuff with you to give to everyone you know. Even my youngest son has gotten in on the action. He plays basketball every Tuesday. Isaac, he's six years old, and he's got a little buddy named Rocco. He, he comes to us and says, Mom and Dad, I don't know if Rocco knows Jesus. Can I invite him to the Easter egg hunt next week? And so we brought some of these, and he invited him, and my wife talked to his, Rocco's mom and said, hey, I don't know what you got going on next weekend, but we would love to have you at our church. We're having this you know, community Easter egg hunt. There's going to be games and a petting zoo and tons of fun stuff to do. And we'd love to have you come back on Easter Sunday too. There's no pressure, but we'd love to have you. It's that easy. Listen, if my six-year-old son can do it, so can you. So can you. We've got events on social media that you can share or tag somebody in. Use Instagram to tag a friend of yours when you see our stuff on social media. But listen, don't just rely on technology to invite people. Call someone up on the phone. Meet them for coffee and personally invite them. Personally invite them and do it with passion because passion matters. Remember, we talked about that last week because I want to point your attention to what happens in the next verse. We read up to verse nine. But when the crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem by shouting, Hosanna, look at what happened next. Verse 10, when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? What's all this commotion going on? Why is everyone shouting Hosanna? Why are they laying palm branches down? Who is this? You know, in just a few minutes, I'm gonna dismiss you guys and those of you that know and love and follow Jesus who have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, you're gonna go into your city and Jesus is gonna be with you. Jesus is gonna enter your city. He's gonna enter your community. And my question to you is this, will the people in your community ask, who is this? Will you be so passionate in your presentation and so excited about what next week means and the empty tomb means? Will people be clamoring to know, who is this Jesus? Why are you so excited? How can I find out more about this? Who is this? Will they be excited? Will you be passionate in your presentation? Because what Jesus has done for us is so big, it should not stay with us. The gospel is too big to be contained to just us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. How selfish would we be if we kept it to ourselves? Because Easter's for everyone. It's for everyone. You know, last night as I was thinking about how to end this message and thinking about what Easter and this week means for me. I was reminded of the conversation that I had with my wife on Friday night where we got to go on a date for the first time in five months almost. We had a great date night and whenever we go on a date, we've got these, um, we call them weather check questions. We shared a little bit about this during the vow series. And Kelly turned to me at dinner and said, you know, what's the greatest part about life for you right now? What's the best thing about life? And normally I answer that question with the same answer, which is my family. I, I love, I feel so blessed to have the family that God has given me, a loving and supportive wife, two, you know, adorable and adoring little boys. But I didn't answer that question that way this time. And that, it's still true, but I told her, I said, I feel like, you know, 
I'm just wildly and crazily blessed beyond what I deserve. It is the totality of what I get to experience in life right now. That's the best part about life is that I'm alive and I get to experience the goodness of God in every area of my life. I am blessed beyond measure. We are blessed beyond measure. And as I started thinking about, you know, my Easter traditions growing up, and many of you know that my father was a pastor uh, when I was a teenager. He passed away in the late 90s at a very young age. He was 46 and I was 21. But I remember one of the years that my dad was pastor at Hamburg Assembly of God, which is on Newton Road in Hamburg. It's now called Connect Church. Uh, My dad had a burning passion, even though the church never really grew beyond 150 people or so. He desperately wanted to see people come to know Jesus. He had a heart for revival and wanted to see salvations. And so one year we did this Easter play where we kind of reenacted the passion of Christ. And that year I got to play the part of Jesus. You know, I back then as a teenager, didn't have the ability to grow the same lustrous beard that I have today. <laughs> tried hard, but it was pretty patchy. Uh, tried to pull the look off. But I remember the weight of, that I felt of having to try and communicate the words of Jesus from the cross. We brought in a full life-size cross, you know, that had, you know, Roman guards and, 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 you know, we had the great costumes. And I remember when they propped me up on that cross as I'm looking out at the congregation, standing on the little pedestal that was on that fake cross. And I remember having to say these words that Jesus spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I remember being impacted and hit by the weight of those words that in the very moment of Jesus' deepest pain and agony, as his father is turning his back on him and the first time in all of eternity past, Jesus knew separation for the first time ever. They had always been in perfect union together, but Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because his father couldn't look upon his son with the weight of the sin of the world being placed on him. Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And his father had to look away. And in that moment, Jesus still, as people are hurling insults at him, the ones who had beaten him, spit on him and mocked him, who drove the nails in his hands, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. And I wonder how many times have I been the recipient of that grace and that forgiveness because I didn't know who Jesus was. How many times have the people in your world done things to hurl insults at God because they didn't know who he is? And he says, Father, forgive them. A couple years later, my dad would pass away. And I remember at his wake, sitting down with a friend of mine, more of an acquaintance who had come to the church a couple times, but was more of a skeptic than a follower. And yet he was haunted by this pastor who had unexpectedly died and had so many questions around why and how that could happen. And he sat down with me. And I remember I was always somebody who, you know, wanted to fit in and go with the crowd and go with the flow and, you know, not be thought of as weird. And so I rarely shared my faith with people. I was more of a closet Christian as a teenager. I'm ashamed to admit that, but I was. But I remember in this moment, grieving the loss of my father, sitting in that funeral home, talking to this kid 
who was wrestling with questions about faith and eternity. And he said, I can't get away from the words that I've heard your dad say so many times. And I said, I don't even remember his name. I just remember having this conversation. And I said, you can have the same hope that my dad had. If you wanna know that you're gonna see my dad again someday, if you wanna experience heaven one day, all you've gotta do is say yes to Jesus and invite him to come in and live inside of you. And at 21 years old, I got to lead him to the Lord at my dad's wake. I wanna believe for hundreds of people next weekend to have the same experience as they cross over from death to life when they are presented with an opportunity to see Jesus as he really is, alive forevermore. He is not dead, my God is alive. That tomb is empty. So as we get ready to close and pray, I just wanna ask you to bring to your mind and picture in your mind as we pray, the people that you're gonna to invite to church with you next Sunday. And my hope and my prayer is that God would simply break our hearts for the things that break his because he made his way through the cross to make his way to you and me and to the people in our lives that need to know that he has a plan for them, that he loves them and that he's for them, amen? Jesus, we just come before you right now with hearts full of gratitude full of gratitude, God, for the way that you entered Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. Showing us, God, that you're not some aloof God who's disappointed with us or waiting to beat us over the head to punish us for our sins, but you came to us humbly. You took the first step. You came towards us. And Lord, as the people shouted out, Hosanna, God, we say, save us. And as the religious elite and leaders came and, and told them, told you to have the crowds quiet down, you said, man, if, I, if they don't shout, the rocks will cry out. But Jesus, this week, we're not gonna let the rocks cry out. We are going to shout glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising its shame. Lord, you loved us that much and you love the people in our lives who don't yet know you the same. Some of us have been following Jesus for so long that we've forgotten what he saved us from and we stand in this self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental attitude towards those who aren't following him, who don't know him, who don't love him. And I pray this morning that your heart would be reminded of what he saved you from. That we are all sinners who've received this extravagant, scandalous grace that has nothing to do with how good we are, but everything to do with how good he is and how much he loves us. If there's anyone here this morning with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you came in with that perception of God being disappointed in you and ready to just punish you for your sins, but this morning you're feeling and sensing that maybe he's come near you and he wants to love on you as a father does his children. If you've never said yes to Jesus and received him as your Lord and Savior, will you just raise your hand all across this place so we can pray for you and receive you and welcome you into God's family? Anybody here that wants to accept and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're ready to say yes to a life of following him. I see that hand up here. Anybody else? 
You're tired of running. You're tired of figuring it out on your own. And you just want to surrender. Last chance, we're going to pray together. Listen, the words of the prayer are not important. What is important is that you recognize that scripture says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That when we believe in our heart that he is who he said he is and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So why don't we all pray together with those who are receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. This morning, God, I receive you into my heart and I believe that you rose from the dead to give me life forevermore. Jesus, come into my heart, wash me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And God, give me the strength and the power to live for you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Church, can we put our hands together, make some noise for the family of God growing again here today. Listen, we're gonna believe that next Sunday, what just happened here for that one person who raised their hand is gonna happen dozens of times over. So I wanna ask you to be praying with me together that we would see dozens cross over from death to life as we present to the best of our ability the person of Jesus and let them know that Easter is for everyone. If you prayed that prayer a moment ago with us, and um, I would invite you to, after we dismiss everyone, to come up to the front here. We've got some resources that we would love to put into your hand, just a way for us as a church to come alongside of you on this new journey that you're on now to let you know that you're not in it alone. Uh, there's some next steps. This is the first step that's gonna last you the rest of your life. And so I would encourage you to make sure you sign up to get baptized because that's always the first next step after we place our faith in Jesus is to go public with it and let everyone know that we've identified as his own. And so church, I hope that you'll take a bunch of these with you. Make sure that we are emptied out before you leave. We don't want any of these left because they're no good after this week. So there's some at the back table, at the information table, grab these on your way out. Be praying for the people that you're gonna invite this week. And let's believe God for miracles of resurrection next week, amen? Church, I love you so much. I hope you have an awesome Holy Week. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday for Easter Sunday.